Good morning to each one. Greetings in Jesus' name. Are you healthy? Jesus, the fount of health alone, are you spiritually healthy? A few thoughts from that song really, really stood out to me and blessed me. Thinking of even the assurance of salvation, by faith we claim. By faith, the conscience has freedom as we surrender. For message this morning, turn with me to Psalm 15. Psalm 15. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not, he that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. That last phrase, shall never be moved. We live in a world of a lot of change. We live in a world of a lot of instability. People that may be unstable, unstable. And this, it says, is a recipe for being an unmovable person. But that phrase also made me think of Psalm 40, and I'd like to read that psalm, and then we'll come back to Psalm 15. But Psalm 40, in verse 2, it uses the words, the phrase, established my goings. Think of that here in the context. I'd like to go ahead and read this whole psalm as well. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man that maketh the Lord his trust, and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. And if I would declare and speak them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me, I delight to do thy will, O God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. 
I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. Withhold not thou thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me. For innumerable evils have compassed me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me, so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of mine head, therefore my heart faileth me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and confounded together that seek after my soul to destroy it. Let them be driven backward and be put and put to shame that wish me evil. Let them be desolate for a reward of their shame that say unto me, Aha, aha. Let those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Let such as love thy salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tarrying, O my God. Can you echo the words of this psalm? This psalm is a beautiful picture of salvation and response. It opens up with a need, a heart crying out to God. And, I, and then as you look here, a horrible pit. Well, what, what a, a better way to describe the tentacles of sin? A horrible pit. Unable to free oneself. You know, I cannot be helped by God if He doesn't stretch His hand out to me. But I can't be helped if I don't want to get out. And here it's David says, I cried to the Lord. He heard and He delivered me. God didn't just pull us out of the miry clay, but He sets us upon a rock. The rock Jesus Christ. And He establishes our goings. It's a change of course and, of, and a purposeful obedience. To look down through, I see an attitude of worship. And I'm thinking about worship. I actually have a, an assignment to speak on worship in a few months, and my mind is, is going there. And, and as I, I looked at this, this song, what is worship? And in a very simple way, I, I believe it's a posture of the heart. And here we see respect and honor and awe of God coupled with humility, gratitude, and praise. So we see God and we have a response to God. And I think that base, that's the basis of what worship is. It's a heart posture, a heart stance of how we view God or anything else for that matter. Let's go back to Psalm 15. The psalm starts out, Who shall abide in that tabernacle? 
Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? Who of us doesn't want to live in the presence of God? Who of us doesn't want to walk with God? And looking forward, doesn't want to live in the presence of God eternally. I believe we all do. And here, some of the, you know, many of the Psalms speak out of a heart of the last one there, Psalm 40, a heart's response, crying to God. This Psalm here sets forth a little bit more of a, of a teaching, a, a uh, things we need to consider. And I'd like us to look at these this morning. The first three things that we'll look at relate to our attitude toward God. And they are found all in verse 2. We will not stand before God. We will not dwell in His presence. We cannot expect His, His blessing and presence if we do not walk uprightly, work righteousness, and speak the truth. You know, I was thinking what a few comments that Brother Chad made there about faith and these men of the Old Testament referenced and women. But their faith did not produce perfection. And while none of us is perfect, we do have something they did not. Yes, the Spirit came upon them, but they did not have the Holy Spirit in the measure that Christ promised us. And that is a blessing that we have more reason to be able to live this out in a way that is pleasing to God. The first one of these things in, in chapter in Psalm 15, verse 2, it says, He that walketh uprightly. And here I see a posture. You know, that you can sit in different ways. You can sit straight up, you can slouch, you can lean over. It's a posture. And here we're it's talking about walking. I can walk hunched over. Or I can walk upright. No one can abide in the presence of God who has not been set up on the rock. Often we think of walking as action, and rightly so. But here I see it as a little bit more of a state of being, how you go. Walking uprightly. Having been saved from that miry pit, being justified and made whole, the word integrity, if one walks uprightly, a life that has nothing to be ashamed of. Another word closely related would be motive. Why I do what I do. How I carry myself, what I think about. You can do good and you can speak truth, which are the following two. But if you have impure motives... You're going to fail the test. Walking uprightly is the basic, the foundational principle. And those are fleshed out more. That is fleshed out more in the next two. It worketh righteousness. And what flows from that redeemed life? What we do. Not just what we are, but what we do. Our actions are measured by a standard, the standard of righteousness. You know, the law was given 
to point, well, I think basically to show mankind our tremendous need, our tremendous shortcoming, who we are apart from, from God. We would not know sin if the law had not made, aware, made us aware. But now, we don't just go back to the law, to Leviticus, and try to live that. We seek to honor the words, and not only the words, but the Spirit of Christ in fulfilling the commands that He has given us. The commands Christ Himself and also through the, through the apostles. As I thought of this, a few things came to mind, and that's Ephesians 4.28, a very basic command. Let him that stole steal no more, but let him, rather let him labor, working with his hands that which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. And I see here diligence. Diligence. Most of us don't find it too hard to work. Some of us find it too hard not to work. To take the time to meditate. To take the time to, to listen. But you know, these... This... this uh, Diligence here is something that you have to teach a child. It's easy to want to do nothing. And diligence needs to be taught. God's desire is that we would be diligent, that we would be faithful in what we're asked to do. And that is one way of working righteousness. Another is that of of giving in Romans 12, 13. It says, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. And here we have generosity as an outworking of this worketh righteousness. We are diligent. We are generous. And in all that we do, provide things honest in the sight of all men. Honesty is a working out of this working righteousness. You know, I think as I thought of these three things, diligence, generosity, and honesty. Perhaps those are some of the, that's the three basic areas that are the hardest and most foundational to grasp and to teach in children. Where do I lack in diligence about the right things? When generosity or in honesty. When we work righteousness as a response to redemption, we become an immovable person. The third one here is it speaketh truth in his heart. I didn't look up all the references to truth, speaking truth. Truth has truth is, but truth is spoken. And the opposite of speaking the truth is lying, and, and there are many, many references to lying, but and to speaking truth. And I'll just I'll read a few. One here in Zechariah, the prophet here in chapter eight. He says, I have punished you like I said I would, and he says, Now I want to do good to you like I said I would, and these are the things you shall do. Verse 16. Speak every man truth with his neighbor. Execute judgment of truth and peace. 
And let none of you imagine evil in your hearts against his neighbor, and love no false oath. For all these things are things that I hate, saith the Lord. God is truth, and that is what he desires and expects and requires in us. Another passage from Ephesians chapter 4. Beautiful picture of, of a life changed by Christ, filled with the Spirit. It says that she put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, verse 22, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that she put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, put away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Usually when you tell a lie, it's because you either want to cover up something you've done wrong or you want to get it over on someone else. The last half of verse 25 says, for we are members one of another. Why would we want to hurt someone that we are part of? A very basic principle. God wants us to speak the truth. He requires it. Found a quote from H.W. Shaw that says, there are people who exaggerate so much that they can't tell the truth without lying. We like to impress people. And often we can tell stories or happenings or facts that sound better if they're exaggerated a little bit. And without even trying, and I find myself sometimes, it's like, wait a minute, I, I said that because I was trying to convey the truth, but did I say it factually, or did I exaggerate? I think we need to be careful that we speak the truth in its entirety, not exaggerate. It's a little thing, but it can change the truth into a lie. It's another quote that says, who is not sure of his memory should not attempt lying. Because if you tell one lie, it's a pretty good chance you're going to have to tell another one to cover it up. It's almost impossible to lie only once. So don't start. Speak the truth. It starts with speaking the truth in your heart. And what's in your heart will come out. Walk uprightly. Walk with integrity. Work righteousness. Be diligent, generous, and honest. And speak the truth. This comes out of, a, of your person, of who you are. And then the next several verses relate more into practical outworkings of how we think about and relate to our brothers and sisters, to those around us. In verse 3, he that backbiteth not with his tongue. In other words, he that backbiteth with his tongue is not one who will dwell in God's holy hill. What is this backbiteth? Slander. To spy out or to look for the bad in others. 
to gossip and to tell stories that highlight others' failures and faults. Adam Clark said it's like kicking around the character of an absent person. So taking something that... Well, see, reputation is what you get by how you live, but your character is what you are. And someone else, or I can take the character of someone, I know they're an upright person, but I can tell falsehood, I can look for the little faults, and I can, I can kick that around with you, and I can talk about this person's bad parts and try to ruin their reputation by how I handle their character. Never say some, something or never say about someone what you wouldn't say to him. I think the picture also was, is that of a, of a cowardly dog. Backbite. You know, I know some dogs that are very big and they put up a big tough front, but they wouldn't hurt they wouldn't hurt me. Yesterday, I stopped at a neighbor's, and I thought they had a big dog, and I was correct. It's a St. Bernard. I was down one step. He was, or maybe two, and he, he was about right here. But he wasn't vicious. They haven't had another one in the past that <clears throat> I thought was vicious, but he didn't hurt me. But, you know, those aren't the kind that do the harm. It's the, it's the ones that like to sneak in from behind and strike. When I was growing up, we had a dog, several dogs, but one dog in particular that had a long stay at our, at our place. And as you would walk up to the front door, the front steps, there was a shrub, a big shrub beside the steps. And it had a little hole and a nice, cool place to lay. And that dog spent many, many hours there. And I remember, not too clearly, but times when people would come, he would come out and bark. And he was not happy with intruders. But I'm remembering especially the time that the lady was standing at the door knocking. And she turned around and there was the dog. It scared her, and rightly so, because he wasn't happy. I don't think he did her any harm. But when we relate with people, how do we talk about them? How do we talk about other people to other people? We must measure our words carefully. Are they true? Are they kind? Are they necessary? When you're tempted to talk degradingly about someone, think of a positive thing to say instead. Yes, sometimes we have to speak the truth in love to someone. Sometimes we have to talk to another person about someone. What's the attitude it's done in? Is it done of love and concern and care? Are we looking for their good points? Are we looking for their bad points to highlight? Secondly, in this verse, nor doeth ill to his neighbor. 
This encompasses a very broad range of possibilities, and I'm not going to explore too much. But you know, as I said earlier, we're members one of another. We shouldn't want to see evil or harm come to those of our number, to our neighbors. If you steal, you're doing evil to him. If you love your neighbor, you'll respect him and desire to see him prosper and succeed. I didn't write, write down another, another quote that I came across, but it was something to the effect that God calls us to love our enemies and our neighbors, and often they may be the same. God may place people in our lives close that are hard to love, but he calls us to love our neighbors which may or may not be our enemies. Trust me, if they are, they are enemies, they should be made to not be. But how we treat those around us, how we how we hold them up in our regard. Do we want to see them get ahead, to succeed and to prosper, our neighbors? Are we just looking out for ourselves? Thirdly, in this verse, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. You know, in verse 3, you may be doing the gossip or the slander, but what about when it comes to you? What if you're on the receiving end of a tale that is told? What do you do with it? You have a choice. You can take up that tale. You can take up that reproach and spread it or you can pick it up and bury it. And I think that's what this is talking. Don't take up a reproach. Don't spread falsehood. Gossip. Such like. Don't take up a reproach against your neighbor. If someone says something that causes, brings your neighbor's character into question, go talk to him. Don't just talk about it. In verse 4, In whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. What do you, what do you talk about? What, do you, what excites you? You know, we all like amazing stories, and I talked earlier about telling stories and exaggerating. But there are some criminals out there that are pretty amazing in their craft. People that get away with things, that are able to flaunt the law, tell how fast they were going, didn't get stopped. Do we secretly admire such things? Do we delight in others' trickery and deception? This is a call, I believe, for us to admire those who are willing to suffer for righteousness' sake. Let's, let's as it says here, honor them that fear the Lord. Let's encourage those who stand for truth even when their friends don't. You know, you may be interacting with someone who is encouraging you to do something 
that your parents have asked you not to. Maybe their parents have asked them not to. You have a choice to, res- to, to go along or to respect your authority. And when you see someone that stands for that, bless them in that. Honor them that fear the Lord. There's much the scripture has to say, especially in Proverbs and in Psalms, about distancing yourself from those that are walking not uprightly, those that would would harm others, would take advantage of others. Let's be careful who we praise, who we lift up, who we honor in our speech and our thoughts. Psalm 119, 63 says, I am a companion of them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. And lastly here in verse four, he that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. What does that mean? Thought we didn't swear, right? But we do make promises. We've made vows. Many of us here have made a vow before God to be faithful to Him. We have our baptismal vows. Many of us also have made a vow to a spouse. There's many other promises that have been made. Are you faithful? Do you keep your word? When you agree to pay the rent, make sure it gets paid. When you borrow something, return it. Keep your word. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. That's very closely related to speaking the truth. But you know, I think this this goes to a different dimension and goes further. It says sweareth to his own hurt. There are times that maybe you make a promise or a vow that it's hard to keep. You may suffer for having to hold your end of the bargain. The agreement. But I believe God will bless. I know he will for upholding that. I've heard of business deals where promises are made and it hurts to, to uphold. But that's what God expects. And that's what it takes to be an unmovable person. In verse 5, he that putteth not out his money to usury, God's people were forbidden to charge interest to their fellow countrymen, from lending to their own people with interest. And I think that was because if someone was borrowing, in that time and place, it was because they were poor. They had nothing. Well, in our day and age, you can be worth millions and then you go borrow millions. And it's a little different scenario of of debt. 
debt was not used the same way that it is now in our capitalistic society. But the basic premise, the basic principle is not to take advantage of others. When you see someone down, help them. Don't just pour on the contempt and the hurt. Because if you have money to, to, to lend, maybe you can lend some of it permanently where it will get interest compounded for eternity. The continued thought is, nor take reward against the innocent. I think these two are related. But only provide an honest witness. Someone who never sways from truth in word or deed by the allure of money or bribes. Most of us aren't in the, in the seat of judgment, if you will. But I'm sure, it was, I'm sure it was and is. In many places in the world, we hear of justice that is perverted by bribes. Corruption is as old as humanity and just about as prevalent. God says, provide things honest. Don't take a reward against the innocent. And the promise here is that he that doeth these things shall never be moved. His goings will be established. I believe that if our life is a life that will flow out of worship, again, that reverence for and gratitude to God, that this will be the fruit of that life. This will be a picture of one who is worshiping the high God. To read it again, read Psalm 15. Who shall abide in thy tabernacle and who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue nor doeth evil to his neighbor nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not, he that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent, he that doeth these things shall never be moved. Then I think we will be living as Christ would have us to in Matthew 5. What is the purpose of all this? Yes, it's to dwell with God and live in His presence. But what's the ultimate purpose? Matthew 5, 13 to 16. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, though to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. That's an upright candle, by the way. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Trust that's the desire of each one of us. And may these things, basic principles, how we relate to each other, how we 
how we conduct ourselves. May the Spirit help us to walk in a way that is pleasing to God, that we can be unmovable, that we can be a dependable person, one that can be looked up to, respected, to point men to Christ and bring glory to our Father. Let's have a song.